This is Disaster Tales. I'm Kate Fairweather, and today we're going to be talking about a lot of disasters that happened on, by the way, happy belated birthday, on Barb's birthday throughout history. Her birthday's January 31st. Thank you. And she's, for for the next 38 days, she's going to be only one year younger than me. So, there we go. Yes, we have that all worked out, don't we? We had it all worked out. <laughs> yes. I tried to catch it, and I never could. <laughs> I know. Well, I keep trying to wait for you, you know, but I did welcome you to your 60s, though. I remember that. <laughs> That's true. Time for no one, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um. <laughs> oh. So I'm coming to you from snowy Genoa. Snowy. It's actually snowing here snowy too. Genoa. Yeah, it's snowing steadily right now. We've got probably ten inches, yeah, on the ground, and then it's adding too. So, yeah, we're getting our share of winter right here. The storm you're getting, we had a couple days ago, and then when I looked at the news the other day, I think it was two days ago our local newsman had the map up and it had a big block of cold weather over the Midwest coming towards us in Texas. And it said, and it was blue and it said cold. And then up in Canada, there was another big air mass that he had marked and it was purple and it said darn cold. <laughs> so, so that's, <laughs> there you go. That's how our weathermen are around here. They're kind of odd, but <laughs> Oh, Yep. So, okay. Well, this is February weather. It is. And you and you know about the four seasons we have here, right? Here here in the Texas Panhandle, we have we have tornado season, hurricane season, hunting season, and February. But those are our four seasons. <laughs> in, in New York, we have winter, not still winter, summer and almost winter <laughs> so <laughs> we get a lot of that stuff <laughs> yeah i know you do so let's talk about your birthday it's a wonderful day it is um except <laughs> the last day of january i just slipped in on the last day of of january which is the first month of the year mm-hmm. in the last year of the 50s so I'm the last day of the first month of the last year of the 50s. So you skidded in under the... January 31st. Skidded in under the finish line there. (laughs) I did. I did. And that's typical of my life. I skid in under the finish line. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) but all that being equal. um, So January 31st of 1953 into February 1st of 1953. Uh, there was, there was a, a huge number of storms in the, in the 50s, um, high, high volume of snow. But this storm was called the Great Storm of the North Sea. And it was in the North Sea near the Netherlands. And the Netherlands are 20% below the sea level. Like they're 
below. So they have like a levee system, a, a dike system to keep them from flooding. But because of the size and scope of this storm, they had incredible amount of flooding and inundation um, in that whole area in um, the northern part of the North Sea area in England. Well, no, in the Netherlands, they recorded 1,836 deaths. In England, 307 deaths. West Flanders, Belgium, they uh, recorded 28. 28 deaths. And in eastern Scotland, 19 deaths. And at sea, there was a, a 230 fatalities. So this storm took an incredible human toll and destroyed a great deal of the infrastructure of the coastal areas of all of the countries involved, the Netherlands, England, Belgium, Scotland. And, um, and so even the, the Irish coast was affected. The motor vehicle ferry called the Princess Victoria was sunk in the North Channel Sea off the coast of Belfast, Ireland, and 133 people died in that storm. And now this is into the North Sea, very cold. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the deaths were because of hypothermia. People fell into the water and couldn't maintain body temperature. And it was definitely uh, a crazy storm system that came through. The other deaths involved the ones at sea were related to fishing and merchant vessels which were out on the sea you know doing their business and the reason that they had so much damage to the coastlines and to the area was because of high spring tides so the water levels were already elevated because of the melt for the spring and then violent winds which raised the water 18.7 feet above normal so if you think about that if a an average story is you know in a building is eight feet so that's nearly you know two and a half two and three quarter times what you would have uh in a building so it was definitely high tide <laughs> right um and then a, a lot of those deaths because of the period of time and you know it was post-world war ii there was just a lot of uh, construction that went up very quickly because people were coming back from the war and they were, um, you know, getting into housing, that the, the housing stock in the coastal areas was kind of substandard. So many of the people and that were killed in those areas along the coast were living in substandard housing, and there was a lot of poverty in that area. The coastal people generally were fishermen or merchant seamen, and so they were in a little lower strata of the economic uh, area for that um, time and so there wasn't a lot of protection for them and it it really took its toll so there were over 2,000 deaths from that particular thing now in those situations there's always you know a great disaster a great loss of life and then there's a response those responses don't ever come it seems like until after there's been a great loss of life gotta learn the lesson Right, right. And they have to see that, you know, that there definitely is a need for some changes. And with the, that number of people dying, they certainly decided to respond to that. The Delta Works flood system in the Netherlands was created, which bolstered coastlines, built levees, prevented floodwaters from coming in. And then 
the Thames barrier flood protection was instituted in the UK because water came up through the river and flooded areas that way. So there was always, you know, sadly, a loss of life that led to a response. Mm -hmm. But that storm, as I said, occurred, started on January 31st and ended on February 1st of 1953. So there was one of our January 31st disasters. Yeah, yeah, that's, that was a bad one. Yeah, the, they always like close the barn door after the horse is gone. But, you know, you have to learn those lessons. If you don't know ahead of time, then one, once you learn it, the important thing is to go and take your lesson and put it into practice. And that's what they did with this flood system because I think that their flood system included newer updating the, the dams and also putting in uh, pumping systems in the Netherlands. The Netherlands being one-fifth below mm -hmm. sea level, you, you, that's how you protect your land is you, is you get not only bar it from any water that's coming in, but if it does manage to get in, you got to pump it out too. So I'll let you move on to the next one. The next, the next disaster on uh, January 31st of 1957, <clears throat> we're going to talk about the Pacoima Mid-Air Collision. And Pacoima is a, a town in Southern California, just outside of Los Angeles. And there was a mid-air collision between two planes, a military plane and a, a Douglas aircraft that was being tested for use the uh, Douglas 7B, DC-7B, and um, they had a mid-air collision, and it was a devastating situation because of where the, the collision occurred. Mm -hmm. There was loss of life. So In the air and on the ground. You want to talk about the DCs? I'll do it after. Right. I'll do it after. You go oh. ahead. Okay. So the... Um, the two planes it was there were a, there was a formation of or there was a single plane but a formation of three F89Ds which is called a Scorpion fighter plane and they were out of um, the local air uh, airport there doing testing and and doing um, flight formation and things like that <clears throat> so they were out just kind of testing out the equipment proving them because they were going to be going out. They were Air Force Northrop F-89 jets. Then there was a Doug, the Douglas Aircraft Company, which um, was ha was in that area, sent out one of their newer air airplanes, the Douglas DC-7B, and they were doing flight proving too, testing it. They were all both under... Um, visual flying rules, completely clear day, no issues as far as visibility. And due to pilot error and inattention, apparently, the two planes, the Douglas uh, 7B and the Scorpion, collided. At the last moment, the Douglas did see the plane and tried to divert, but it took off one of the wings. And so the plane was rendered um rendered unflyable, obviously. The Scorpion immediately burst into flames. One of the passengers, one of the flight crew members was able to eject, but when he ejected, his um, his seat 
he remained in his seat, but it landed in a garage and he had been burned very badly when the, the plane burst into flames. And then the Douglas aircraft, um, of course, burned, burned also and it was full of fuel. So the temperature of the burning debris landed in uh, on a church, part of it on a church and in a church parking lot, the community church there in Pacoima, and then part of it on the grounds of the junior high school where 252 male students were outside. The, the girls had just gone in from their time of recess. The boys were standing in line waiting to go back into the school. There were a few that were playing kickball and messing around. Most of them were lined up and the, the debris from the planes from the wreckage came down into the schoolyard and the burning debris killed two students and severely injured a third who died the next day. And um, so there was the loss of life of the the flight crew from the Douglas and the pilot from the F-89. And then the, the man who ejected was, um, he was very badly injured and burned. So in the, in the aftermath of all this, there was, it was like pandemonium. <laughs> That's how they described it. That there were um, 140 people in the area who witnessed the crash. So that would have been like the students, people in the church area, people in the town, because it was right in the in the downtown area. And then over the next few hours, over 30,000 people reported to the scene. Some of them were there to assist. Most of them were there to gawk, which is what people do when a, a tragedy happens, unfortunately. And sometimes they get in the way of the people who are actually trying to assist. Yep. So the fatalities in this situation um, were, of course, the flight crew of the DC-8. And then the one pilot who, the one uh, radio operator, Curtis Adams, ejected from the Scorpion and survived. But then Ronnie Brand, who was 13, and Robert Zallen, who was 12, died at the scene. And then two days later, Evan Elsner, who was one of the other the other boy in the schoolyard, died as a result of his injuries and burns in the hospital. So this was just like chaos. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a notable connection to this because there's there was an airplane crash in 1959 and it was called the day the music died. Richie Valens and Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper and other people were in a in a plane crash in Iowa. Mm -hmm. Well, as it turns out, Richie Valens was a student at the Pacoima Junior High School and or the Pacoima High School. But that day he he was absent because he was sick, but he had had developed this complete phobia of flying. He didn't want to fly. But when the, the crash happened in Iowa, um, they had all been kind of sick with the flu. So a bunch of them chartered a plane to fly to their next concert site and that plane crashed and he died in a plane crash. So that was always kind of a, you know, a little um, yeah, that's ad a, added to, you know, because he did. Yeah. That's an interesting coincidence. So, yeah, it is. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the airplanes because we grew up on airports while my uh -huh. dad flew. Um, the, the DC seven was actually a prototype and it was the la it was actually developed after jet propulsion, but it was the last prop-driven passenger aircraft that was made by the Douglas Company. It has four props, 
It has the classic Douglas front that you see on the DC-3. I, I always love those planes. So anyway, so that, that was the last mm -hmm. of the prop-driven prop -driven passenger points that they built. And that Scorpion is a, it's a two-seater front-back. So when your guy ejected, did, do you know if the other guy ejected or did he just go down with the plane? He went down with the plane. Okay. The other guy didn't make it out. The guy who ejected was actually the um, the navigator, radio operator. It wasn't the pilot. This plane looks like um, a toddler put it together from spare parts. So the elevator of this on plane. On the tail. Yeah. Yeah, that's on the tail. The elevator, usually what you see is the up and down is the rudder, and the cross, the cross, crossways part is the elevator. It makes the plane go up and down. It's in the middle of the tail. It's like halfway up. It's not at the bottom like you normally see it. And then this plane has long wings with big pods on the ends. And it looks like it looks kind of like a World War II fighter plane, but it's just very strange looking. It's it's got the tail goes up. The body is about the size of a of a jet body that you see, but it's got these. The wings aren't terribly long, and, and these weird pods on the end. It makes if you get a chance to look it up, look for a picture of the mm -hmm. F eighty nine Ds. It looks like a scorpion. Honestly, the name that the nickname that they gave it is very appropriate because the scorpion has the claws, mm -hmm. and then it has the tail that comes up and stings. It looks very much like a scorpion. You're right, it does. So this aircraft crash occurred during. Uh, a VFR flight over a populated area. And VFR is visual flight rules, where you actually are like looking at the ground to figure out where you are. Um, as opposed to instrument flight rules, where the airplane is dependent upon instruments in the plane and on the ground to keep itself at the right in the right place and at the right altitude. So these guys should have been able to see each other. And, and that's, and for some reason they, apparently did not until it was too late. I would think that even if you're in a little jet going pretty fast, if you saw a <laughs> if you saw a big Douglas passenger plane coming towards you, you'd you would take notice, but I'm not familiar with the actual They did try to evade at the very last Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. They they did try evasive and that's why they caught the wing and not the fuselage mm -hmm. because it was going to be at like a head on and the, and the, the Douglas pilot rolled out. And when he rolled out, that's when the, the wing was caught by the scorpion. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's why they just weren't paying attention apparently. Right. Well, and, and after that, they, the, in the area, they passed laws about flying over flying practice runs with military jets over um, populated areas. So they couldn't do that anymore. Right. Okay, so let's go to the next huge tragedy that we had. This one was really heartbreaking for me. Um, I'm very fond of flamingos. I think they're lovely birds. I think that they are, have the grace and the elegance of, of just amazing quantity. But anyways, the world's oldest flamingo, named Greatest, that was the, the flamingo's name, um, died in New Zealand on January 31st, 2014. He was a survivor of the Second World War and was 83 years old. Wow. They had to put him to sleep because he started to get feeble. 
but an 83-year-old flamingo. A great loss for us flamingo lovers. <laughs> I had no idea they got that yeah. old. <laughs> 83-year-old bird? I know. Oh, Isn't wow. that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Makes me wonder how long Talk about an old bird, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that was a great so. tragedy. Um, and, uh, and hopefully yeah. he wasn't the last one of his species, but that, you're right, that's an old bird. <laughs> So what else happened yeah. on your birthday? Well, news <laughs> on my birthday. Oh, this one was amazing. In 1606. Okay, so we're talking back in the Elizabethan area era, or before. Um, Guy Fox. He was a British um, citizen, 35 years old. He was sentenced to death on January 30th in 1606 for a treasonous plot called the gunpowder plot which was executed on november 5th or poorly executed on november 5th now he and and several other co-conspirators and as i you know kind of look at it he basically was just the fall guy so to speak because the other conspirators i think were much more entrenched in the conspiracy than he was but what they did is they tunneled under parliament in britain and placed explosives to detonate uh when King James the first was to come in and address parliament. So they wanted to murder the King and they wanted to murder members of parliament. Uh, but the plan failed and all the co-conspirators were arrested. Fox was proclaimed guilty, um, of this treasonous act and high treason was, uh, punishable by being hanged, drawn and quartered. And we'll go into a little detail later on about what drawing and quartering is but his sentence was to be executed on january 31st of 1606 and so that was the birthday disaster for this man obviously it was a real disaster because he lost his life but (laughs) it was a disastrous thing that that happened yeah let's do that because because this kind of an execution is really bizarre it's like a smorgasbord of execution. Yeah, it wasn't enough to just execute somebody. They had to do everything that they could to make that person's life miserable. And uh, largely for an example to others that if they committed that crime, they would have to suffer the same kind of punishment. And punishments and executions were always very public. And they were like a big event. Like, are you going to the execution today? Yeah, I'm going to the execution today. What should I wear to the execution? Right. Yes, I don't know. I mean, is I don't have a thing to wear. Appropriate? Yeah, I work? evening maybe tie, or tie and tails. Travel. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was something. I, I guess they didn't have television, so they needed something to watch, and oh. so they would go to these executions and and they would um, observe. So, anyways, so the the practice of. Um, of hanging, drawing, and quartering is very gruesome. And yeah. I'll kind of give you a, a very, you know, kind of cursory um, explanation of what, what it is. So what they did, this practice hanging, drawing, and quartering, it was actually in the opposite order. They drew, they hanged, and they quartered. They would place a person on a wooden rack or tie them to a horse and then draw them backwards through the, the city to the place of execution. So they drag them through the dirt. I mean, 
physically obviously injure them by drawing them backwards through the um, through the town while people stood by and you know did the, what people do at executions. And then what they did next was they took the person and placed them on the gallows and hanged them, but not all the way. They just hung them until they passed out. They didn't hang them to death. Um, and then they would take the person down from the hanging and then they would disembowel them or emasculate them or any combination of the above. And then they would quarter their bodies and stretch them out like uh, between horses or something like that. And then they would cut them in pieces. And this practice was continued up until 1782. The last person who went through drawing and quartering was Edward Dispard in 1872, 1782, excuse me. I'm dyslexic. Yeah. So the thing for, for Guy Fawkes, um, he actually kind of caught a break, honestly. They, instead of being tortured on the rack before being high, uh, tried for high treason, he was tortured on the rack in the Tower of London. Right. He was tortured on the rack. Uh huh. Yeah. So that was before his trial. He didn't, he, this was, he was tortured on the rack before he was even tried for high treason. And then he was found guilty and sentenced to execution by hanging, drawing, and quartering. So, but Fox, you know, I guess he was a lucky guy. He avoided his full punishment when his neck was broken during his hanging and that killed him. And it was said that he either jumped when he was being hanged or he fell from the gallows. And um, so for him, it was probably a lucky break. <laughs> oh, kind of no, a that's, thing to say. That is, that's a gruesome <laughs> joke, but that's okay. We'll live with a that. Gruesome joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, all this started. Right. He did. But, well. <laughs> well, all this started because... Um, Queen Elizabeth I and then James I after her were cracking down on Catholicism. By then, King Henry VIII had created his own church, and King James was the King James of the King James Bible edit editing. So he had different attitudes about Catholics. The Catholics weren't allowed to practice. They couldn't go to Mass. They couldn't take any sacraments. They weren't supposed to talk about the Pope. They're, they just wanted to erase Catholicism from England altogether. And Fox had um, spent a lot of time in Spain working on a rebellion against King James. So he, uh, he tried to enlist Spain to bring Catholicism back into the United, into the United States, into England. <laughs> so, so anyways, the, the plot was that they were, they were, going to get all this gunpowder in the cellar underneath the uh, House of Lords. And the day that the that it was supposed to go off, the house was going to be there. But also the king and the king's son was there as well. And what they did was they snuck in the, the barrels of gunpowder and then they sent in Guy Fox to set it off at the right time. On October 26, an anonymous letter advising a Catholic sympathizer to avoid the state opening of Parliament, alerted the authorities to the existence of the plot. So somebody sent a letter and said, you don't want to be there that day, just saying. And um, nobody knows for sure who wrote the letter. And unfortunately, when they went in to find the gunpowder, they found Guy standing there, kind of skulking around the cellar, with 36 barrels of gunpowder stacked <laughs> next to him. <laughs> and a pocket full of matches. 
So uh, he said, uh, <laughs> right. kind of caught him red-handed down there. And I think he might have been, like you said, the fall guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> circumstantial, so, purely yeah. circumstantial. <laughs> so that, that's when they caught him. Uh, now, it's it's interesting because now there's mm-hmm. such a thing as Guy Fox Day. Um, after the plot was revealed, Londoners began lighting celebratory bonfires. And in January, in 1606, Parliament designated November 5th, which is the day he was arrested, as a day of Thanksgiving. Um, and this was celebrated even in the American colonies where they called it Pope Day. And this, British subjects on both sides of the Atlantic would burn effigies of the Pope. That died out in the United States by the 19th century. But in Britain, Guy Fawkes Day became a thing where you'd get together with friends and family, set off fireworks, light bonfires, have parades, and burn effigies of Guy Fawkes. Children would run around with for days before with their little effigies of Guy Fawkes saying, a penny for the guy? Kind of like trick-or-treating. Only You only get a penny. And then mm-hmm. they said, remember the 5th of November. Right. Um, <laughs> remember, remember. Yes. So, and then if you think about it, if you've oh, seen oh. those, there's Guy Fox masks that was in a, um, I think it was a, a graphic novel and then a movie called V is for <clears throat> Vendetta. V for Vendetta. Now that mask is like a, it's a real stylized white mask and it has a, like a, a handlebar mustache a long pointy nose, and if you see this, if you see this mask, you'll you'll know what it is. But they've they started using that. Um, the anonymous hack hacktivist group started using the Guy Fox mask as part of their trademark, and you you you'd see it on uh, during the Occupy Wall Street demonstrations. People were wearing Guy Fox masks, and even in the even in what was going on this summer, you could see those. You know, kind of pointy, strange-looking, demustached masks, and uh, so it's become not just a symbol of Guy Fox; it's become a symbol of um, protest and anti-fascist protest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Because I, I, I think it was used during Brexit. Yeah, you you st- you see it everywhere now. Um, it, it, and let's see. There's a lot of places now where wearing masks in public is has been um, has been made illegal. You can be arrested for it. Uh, but that didn't start with Guy Fox. That actually started with the Ku Klux Klan. When the Klan members, they made it a law that the Klan members couldn't wear their hoods, and they they said, but but people will recognize us and retaliate, and the judges said, "Yeah, that's the idea. If you don't, maybe you won't do it." And there's a lot of I know in the United States, there's several states that have no mask laws, and uh, so there's that. There's a little song there. Do you see the song? Yes, it's "Remember, Remember the Fifth of November: Gunpowder, Treason, and Plot." We see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. <laughs> That's that's the Scottish the Scottish wrote that one I think <laughs> so, maybe so, Bobby Burns or something <laughs> yes. kind of like remember the Alamo or whatever 
Right, right. <laughs> remember, remember. I think, you know, if you remember history, maybe you don't repeat it, you know, so. Maybe. Who knows? Yes. But people tend to repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> so now there's something that happened on your actual birthday in. Yes. And we won't mention the year, 1959. But. Um, <laughs> yeah. So go ahead and let's I talk already about, told him. Let's talk I'm about, old. I'm old. We're probably the oldest podcasters in the world. With a combined age of 130 something, I think. Oh, well. Right. There you go. It doesn't get any better than this. So. So on my actual, the day of my birth, I'll give you a short history of the day of my birth. I was actually due on February 1st of 1959. But sliding and in under, had, under uh, the finish line. Been, <laughs> sliding yeah. in under again. There you go. Sliding in under the finish line, <laughs> as is such my way. Um, there was a huge blizzard that day. Uh, one of the most... Uh, the highest amounts of snowfall ever recorded up to that point was at Mount Shasta out in California. The blizzard dropped 189 inches of snow. Ooh. That is a lot of stinking snow. <laughs> That's a lot of snow. <laughs> and then it moved across the country <laughs> to add to the a series of storms that went on in that time. But the interesting part of, of my birth was that um, <laughs> my mom was due actually February 1st and uh, we lived in a small trailer, and the snow was so deep and it was so cold that all the pipes were frozen. And so my dad uh, was trying to thaw out the pipes because the, the septic was frozen. It was backed up. The sink was frozen. Everything was frozen. And my mom said, I need to go to the hospital. I'm in labor. <laughs> and she was actually in labor. But my dad had to drive her through that blizzard to the hospital and then come back and thaw out all the pipes so that she would have a place to bring home a brand new baby to where there wasn't frozen pipes. And my sister was staying with my grandmother at the time. So she had the luxury of the wood furnace. But so I came in in a blizzard, you know, I came in in a blizzard. I came in under the wire. I mean, I am just notable. Because you January are. 31st is a very special day. You're, definite, you're a definite slider there. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not glad. sure if I like that or not. <laughs> well, like baseball, you know, you slide, oh. slide in under the, oh, under okay. the mitt. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, I thought it was like those little sandwiches that you could just pop in your mouth. You well, know, those are slider. cute. You could be a slider. Yeah. Yeah. They're cute. <laughs> I think there was a blizzard on my birthday also, but um, I don't know that it was all that dramatic. I could see Dad underneath the trailer with a blowtorch going over the pipes. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. You know, I mean, that, he, uh, he probably would have been happier being drawn and quartered than have to do that. I don't know. Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, that trailer was so cold. It was very small. It, it was a two-bedroom trailer with a kitchen and bathroom in the middle. It was almost a camper size. And it would get so cold that my dad would take off his socks at night. And in the morning, they would be frozen to the floor. <laughs> You'd have to pull them off the floor and put them in the dirty clothes. But uh, I think winters were colder back then anyways. I think, you know, oh, I don't know. You just took it harder, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, 
Yeah, th- I think that there was a season. There, there was a several winters in a row there that were pretty darn cold. Yeah, I know that there was one where I was, Thanks. I was walking. So it's probably the year after you were born, and there's a picture of me. I had one of those little hoods that points up. It's a red hood, and then it had a little white pom pom mm-hmm. on the top. And Dad had dug out through the snow to get to the car, and I was walking where he dug, and all you could see of me is the pom-pom on top of my hat because the snow was oh. all the way up that high. <laughs> so <laughs> there's, yeah. Yeah. 1950s fashion for children. <laughs> so, you yeah. wear the little red pointy elf hat with a pom-pom on top. There you go. All of fashion, man. That's all it. of fashion. Always highly in fashion. <laughs> A virtual flash fashion plate of a child. So, <laughs> do you know? Do you know? This is weird. This is off subject, but this is—it's really a strange thing that happened. I was on um, Deviant Art, where I have a lot of my artwork online. So you go to katiejoe911.deviantart.com to look at it. But I was on there talking to a guy from Germany, and he was a real computer whiz. And one of the things that happened was I told him where I went to kindergarten, which was the Tioga Center School there in New York. And next thing I know, he has a video up of the kids in kindergarten at Tioga Central School in the playground in the back. And I was like, this is really creepy. Where did you find this? But I guess the year before, before I went there, that somebody had come and taken video, or not videotape, had had filmed the kids in the playground playing and talked about the school. And somehow he found that on the internet. And <laughs> I was like, wow, this is real, really creepy. Is this like rec- reconnaissance or something? I mean, I, think- <laughs> I don't know. But, but yeah, that was, huh. that was strange. I mean, he was okay. He was a nice guy, but I just thought it was really bizarre how fast he came up with that. <laughs> Where'd you go to school? Yeah. Oh, here you go. <laughs> here you are, right here in this picture. I've been watching you for years. Yeah. 60, 62 years I've been watching. Oh, really? <laughs> so, so <Whoa>. yeah. <laughs> so when I think of my childhood now, I think of that, too. So <laughs> my early childhood. <laughs> So, yes, so so you have quite a collection of disaster tale worthy incidents on your birthday. Congratulations. I would I would have to agree, <laughs> not to mention the personal disasters I've had throughout my life. But no, I'm I'm, I'm grateful to be here for the last 62 years. You know, hey, uh, it's been an interesting journey, but uh, now the next little hurdle that we're going to overcome for next month is we're going to do your birthday disasters my birthday so that's march 11th so many terrible things happened on my birthday that it's not even funny (laughs) but it is it's kind of funny but you know so many i mean it's going to make your birthday look like a party (laughs) because well i've always wanted a birthday party (laughs) 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 <laughs> so, yeah. 
So, yeah, so I've, I've had, I mean, going back through history, my birthday's weird anyways, because there's hardly any famous people with my birthday. Like, Lawrence Welk had my birthday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, isn't that the wonderful? <laughs> it's so wonderful. <laughs> Fair enough for the bubble machine. It's like, yeah. So maybe if they, even if they have my birthday, they don't want to admit it and they lie about it. But, uh, so yeah, there's going to be a huge stack of stuff on my birthday and and Ooh. just just to, as a preview one of them I is can't... the fukushima disaster <laughs> the earthquake that hit uh, japan yes. and the nuclear plant that melted go big or go home <laughs> go big or go home <laughs> that's that's exactly right <laughs> so yeah we've got that to look forward to and then <laughs> and then perhaps next month we may have a survivor of the Joplin tornado um, do a talk with us for a while about it because uh, he's somebody I worked with at FEMA, but he had gotten into FEMA during the during the Joplin tornado, and there's a lot of information about the Joplin tornado and the ladies who kind of led the response, and we can talk about that as well. Mm. I think. Or maybe not, and I'll just cut that cool. part out. But uh, yeah, we'll. I think we'll yeah. be talking with Dave, and uh, hopefully, we'll have an interesting program then as well. That will be interesting. Yes, yeah. and then if there's any other disaster ideas anybody can think of, I actually have one in the queue that I did some research on. It didn't occur on my birthday; it happened the day before my birthday. Uh huh. Um, but it was the largest maritime disaster that ever occurred. Well, we got to hear so about this it anyways. Was tragic. We've got to hear about it. Right, right. Right. So we'll put that one in the queue for one of our shows down the way. Mm-hmm. And like Barb said, oh, anything that yeah. you want to hear about, um, let us know. Or if you were in a disaster, let us know. You can contact me at kate at disastertales.com. And that's T-A-L-E-S, tales. And then... You can contact Barb at Barb at DisasterTales.com. And uh, we'll, take your, we'll take your input and we'll get it on the air. Yes, and, indeed we will. And thank you in person. We will do that. Yes. Well, this has been interesting. It was interesting looking up information about my, my, my day. And mm-hmm. I look forward to doing the disaster tales of your day that will be interesting <laughs> yes my husband his birthday is march 15th there's a few on his birthday too the eyes Julius of Caesar. march <laughs> the eyes the eyes of march <laughs> so yeah okay well that sounds good um thanks a lot for doing this and happy birthday and uh hey. i think we're good is there anything you want to say hey, say good. anything you want to say in, in as you go forward? Well, no, just keep keep your eyes open so that you don't become a victim of a disaster. <laughs> right, which is why we have our disaster tips at the end of each, disa- of each Disaster Tales episode. <laughs> so if you're not hearing the disaster yes. tips, you're not waiting long enough. So hang on there after this, and right. after the music, you'll get a disaster To the bitter tip. end. <laughs> to the bitter end. <laughs> all right well thank you this was interesting yeah thanks a lot me too bye disaster tales theme music is by stephanie cerny 
you can check out our website at www.disastertales.com and you can contact me at kate at disastertales.com. Thank you for listening. In case you haven't noticed, the U.S. has had a mammoth cold front spin down from the Arctic. Fortunately, these days, we get some warning from the hardworking folks at the National Weather Service. When sub-freezing or sub-zero temperatures are forecast, ask yourself these questions. Can I protect my pipes from freezing and breaking? How will I stay warm if the electricity goes off? Can I prepare food and snacks to eat if the power goes out? How much water will I need? Do I have enough of my medications to last three to five days? If I have a fireplace or wood stove, do I have enough fuel? Be sure your phone is charged. Remember the five P's. Prior planning prevents post-disaster pain. Yeah, I went there.